You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. As you all know, Jim and, and Deidre are on their way back from Israel, and also Ron and Bonnie are back from, their, from Indonesia, coming back from Indonesia, so we'll, we'll be praying for them this morning as we open. And many of you may have been fearful when you saw that the text today was 14 verses, knowing how we dig into the Scripture, that we might be here till the next Super Bowl. But um, I improperly communicated to Marcia that the, the reading was from Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 17, 1 through 14, but the text is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. So if you'll turn there with me, we'll read and then we'll pray. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of God, of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you this morning, it's, we're reminded that uh, Jim and Deidre and Ron and Bonnie are traveling back from far places, and we pray that you would give them traveling mercies, and Lord, that they would bring back with them delight and encouragement from believers from the other side of the world. And Lord, we, we just uh, commit them to you and, and ask for, the, for their safety through your grace and the son of, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this, this morning, Lord, as we look into your word, we see a church that was founded and was a growing church, a church of love, a church of, of uh, faith and community. And Lord, it reminds me of, of the faith and community church that we have here at Kootenai, and I just thank you for that. Lord, we pray as we study your word this morning that you would move us to be more obedient, more loving, more humble, and honor you in every way that we can. And we'll thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So, ancient Thessalonica, formerly Thermae, was, which means hot springs, was named after the wife of Cassander of Macedon. Her name was Thessaloniki. How convenient. She was the daughter of Philip and the sister of Alexander the Great. How many of you have heard of Alexander the Great? Yeah, he was my nephew. Um, <laughs> it was situated in the northeast extremity of the Sinus Thermaicus, which if you picture that part of the world, you're going to see the boot of Italy coming down, and there's the heel. Straight across is... Um, Macedonia, and then there's Berea, and then a little bit to the east is Thessalonica, right up above the Aegean Sea. It was a large and flourishing city. It was situated there. Paul did his work around 53 AD. The Bible makes mention of Thessalonica in a number of places, and I will, I will reference those before we start into our text. Um, the population then was about 250,000. It was a pretty good-sized city. And it's interesting that Paul... In, in, in Acts chapter 17, we have a mention of Berea and of Thessalonica. And one of the things I may do this morning is modify one of our metaphors. That almost, was, that almost just rolled right off the tongue. 
But uh, we have all been told to be noble like a Berean. And in what most of us don't realize is that when we say that, we're saying it against the Thessalonians, who weren't noble, it appears. So we're going we're to look at the places that Thessalonica is mentioned. Acts chapter 27, verse 2. And embarking on an Adramatean ship, which was about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, Paul says, we put out to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of, the, of Thessalonica. Philippians 4, 15 and 16. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, which we will read soon. Paul's visit to Thessalonica with Silas, Timothy, and some others was as, was as he had left prison in Philippi. It was during his second missionary journey in 50 A.D., his preaching there apparently had had great effect because the church blossomed and was a great blessing to him. And so let's put that into the context of Acts chapter 17 where the Bereans were more noble. We want to live in history, but we want to move forward in history recognizing that as the Thessalonians began to respond to the grace of God, to the Holy Spirit and to the Word of God, they became more noble. So it was okay to be a Thessalonican. And that's why I feel I can compare that church to this church here at Kootenai. And you'll see why as we go through this. In chapter 2, Paul thanks God that they received the word of God with joy. The Thessalonians received the word of God with joy. He says this in chapter 2, verses 13, 14. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God which also performs its work in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. Again, in chapter 2, Paul calls the Thessalonians his joy, his hope, or joy of exaltation. 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. For who, he says, is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and our joy. Paul says that to the Thessalonians. In chapter 4, he delights in the fact that they excel in love as he taught them. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10. Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel even more. And then in chapter 5, he acknowledges the fact that they are edifying one another as they should. 5 verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are also doing. So the Thessalonians were an active church. And one of the marks of their activity was love. A, a, love, a church of love and action. This was a healthy church that was growing in the Lord and it was a testimony to the incredible power and grace of the Holy Spirit. For even as Paul was only there a short time, probably less than a month, but every, different commentators had different ideas, possibly more than that, based on some of the other things he said. But somewhere around a month, um, this church was apparently vibrant and moving forward. They no longer fell behind the Bereans in nobility. They were studying the Word of God. They were taking it as it was, the Word of God, and they were applying it to their lives. So this was the second earliest epistle that 
Paul wrote, Galatians being the earliest, and yet it has in it most, if not all, of the major Christian doctrines, either directly or by implication, including the second coming, a lot about the second coming. He was only in Thessalonica, as I said, for about a month. It was written either from Athens or from Corinth, most likely in 51 A.D. The church of Thessalonica was at once a disciplined, loving, and yet in need of growth church, Paul even cited it to the Corinthians, those wayward Corinthians who seemed to get everything wrong. He cited it to them as an example of what a church should be like in, First Thessal in, uh, in, in the book of Corinthians. And he says that here in 1 Thessalonians. He says, so that you, the Thessalonians, became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-5, through 5, he says, now brethren, and remember who he's talking to, the Corinthians, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the church of, churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, bringing up, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So this church in Thessalonica was an example that Paul used to the other churches. They gave themselves to the Lord and they excel in love and in the virtues that the Holy Spirit will build into the lives of a Christian. In this epistle, which many believe to be primary eschatological in, eschatological in nature, Paul touches on the necessity of being morally pure in chapter 4. So he does cover on numerous items on living a disciplined life in the same chapter, and he does discuss death and the rapture in chapter 4. In chapter 5, he addresses holy living, relationships to one another within the body of Christ, and then some basics on Christian living. In chapter 1, he encourages the new believers. I thought it'd be good to jump around and not talk about chapter 1 first. He encourages the new believers and their progress in their faith. And then in chapter 2, he corrects some misinformation about himself and his helpers. And then again in chapter 4, he provides additional helpful instruction which will contribute to the growth of the Thessalonians in their spiritual lives. This book is in some ways every bit as pastoral as First and Second Timothy, although much shorter. Well, not much shorter, but shorter. Paul is solicitous in his concern for those whom he had a hand in bringing the gospel to, and it's evident here. Fully one quarter of the book and nearly half of Second Thessalonians is given to discussing the parousia, or the second coming of Christ, the coming of Christ from heaven. In many ways, it can seem to some that the Thessalonians were standing around waiting for the heavens to open and for Jesus to return. As much today as then, it is time for Christians to be busy about the things of the Lord. Now as to the authorship, there is little doubt that it was Paul who wrote this epistle. There were some in the German schools that, that, had, that questioned this, but their concerns arose more out of mysticism rather than scientific inquiry. inquiry. One commentator said this, It is included in Marcion's canon, which is around AD 140. It is mentioned in the Muratorian fragment, a list of books accepted as scripturally, probably at Rome sometime after the middle of the second century. And it is quoted by name by Irenaeus in 180 AD, after which it is universally accepted. So there's no question this is a book of the Apostle Paul. So as to the setting from what we read earlier in Acts, Paul had to leave Thessalonica in a hurry because of the mounting opposition to the gospel. He was pursued to Berea and forced to leave even there. He left Silas and Timothy 
uh, at Berea and went on to Athens. While he was at Athens, he sent Timothy back to Thessalonica, who then brought him word about the condition of the church there. He was concerned. He had to leave quickly. He was only there a month. And uh, um, he left the scriptures and he left the teaching, but he was not able to stay. So he sent Timothy back. And some have concluded he, that, that there was a letter to him or maybe an oral update. It's unclear as to what it was, but he responds to some questions. And uh, many think it was, in fact, an oral update that Timothy brought to him uh, uh, from Timothy and Silas. The tenor of this letter is uplifting. Um, Paul was clearly happy with the progress the Thessalonians were making in the Word and in the Lord. This must have been a blessing to him, especially as he later had to deal with the, inter uh, with the issues in Corinth. Uh, what an encouragement it would be to see a vibrant church growing excited. And that's, that's kind of how the elders here feel, um, that this church, and, and, and that's why I wanted to dispel the, the Thessalonians were less noble when I began to compare Kootenai to Thessalonia, because they were noble. Once they received the Word of God, once the church began growing, they studied it, they paid attention to it, they lived it out. They were an example to the believers in Corinth. One other thing about the founding of this church that could have possible implications for today. When Paul saw the vision of the Macedonian begging him to come to Macedonia, he crossed the Aegean Sea where, uh, to Philippi. There his preaching sparked a riot, and he and Silas were seized and beaten and placed in stocks. Now, think about this in reference to today, some of the things that are going on in our country today. I don't know that we're far from this now. Um, I hope we are. I hope we're a long ways from it. But in some ways, as the church is persecuted, it's an amazing thing. That's when it grows the most and it becomes more effective and it becomes more dedicated, if you will, to the Lord Jesus Christ. God released them by earthquake. And you, you remember the jailer uh, came to faith as a result of this. The city magistrates begged Paul and Silas to leave Philippi because they were terrified about the fact that they had just beaten and tried Roman citizens, with, uh, beaten Roman citizens and imprisoned them without a trial. You couldn't do that. Paul and Silas journeyed along the Ignatian Way to Thessalonica. Then they stayed in Amphipolis uh, and Apollonia, but there were no Jewish synagogues there, so they did not preach. He then preached three days as as Dave read, three Sabbaths in a row in the Jewish synagogue in Thessalonica. He stayed there at least three weeks. We know that. Possibly longer. There were Gentile converts as well as Jewish, indicating that he ministered outside the synagogue as well as inside. The Jews at Thessalonica smoldered at the loss of their um, synagogue attenders. They were losing people to this upstart ex-Pharisee. And they eventually assaulted Jason's house looking for Paul and Silas. Since they couldn't find them, they took Jason and others captive and hauled them before the rulers of the city. They charged them with treason, saying they all act contrary to the doctrines of Caesar, saying that there is another King Jesus, Acts 17.7. And as Ramsey and his commentators noted, he said this, the charge brought against Paul was subtly conceived and most dangerous. Think about this today. The very suggestion of treason against the emperors often proved fatal to the accused, and it compelled the Politarchs to take steps, for if they failed to do something, they became exposed to a charge of treason as well, for having taken too little care for the honor of the emperor. Many a man was ruined by such a charge under the earlier emperors. The day may be coming, and soon, or something of this sort will be used against Christians today. 
Let us now look at the text of 1 Thessalonians. So we read it, and I can imagine Paul receiving the report from Timothy and, and of the vibrant faith of the Thessalonians. He probably told Paul that the church was growing, they were obedient, they were working out their faith every day, they were looking forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul would have been excited about this, and we can see that in the joyous little epistle he pens here. 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 4 is what we're going to look at. So, just as Paul starts this letter out to the Thessalonians, invoking grace and peace to them, I want us to read it, this greeting this morning, as if it were a greeting as well to Kootenai. Paul and, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, not that in any way, shape, or form I'm equating myself to Paul, please, that's not what I mean. What I mean is, insert Kootenai here, to the church of, the, of Kootenai, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, by God, His choice of you. So just as Paul starts it out, I wanted it, I wanted it to, to kind of personalize it. Being a church that continues working in faith, laboring in love, and being steadfast in the hope of the coming of the Lord Jesus is becoming a rare commodity in this world. Very rare, unfortunately. The Thessalonians were able to do this for the same reason we are able to do it. We have been chosen by Him. Let's not bandy words here. As much as I care for everyone here, no one here is worth the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not, I, not myself, for certain. No one else. No one here ever decided they would make Him the Lord of their lives first. No one here walked the sawdust path, if you will, without first having the Holy Spirit do a work of changing in their hearts, drawing them to the Father, and then working that change of all changes, which results in a believer. So he starts out with, to the church of, in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Notice here, by the way, Interestingly enough, and I noticed this this morning, and they say you're not supposed to change your message the morning you're going to give it. Oh, well. Paul does not identify himself as an apostle. Most likely, in the Macedonian churches, his apostleship was never in question. Colossians, Paul an apostle. Ephesians, Paul an apostle. Galatians, Paul an apostle. Second Corinthians, Paul an apostle. But First Corinthians... Paul, called to be an apostle, you wayward people, is what he said to the Corinthians, not to you. So neither does Paul question their salvation. He has obviously seen evidence of the change in their lives caused by the Holy Spirit, and so he could express delight in their demonstration of their belief by working in faith, laboring in love, and being steadfast in hope. That's a threefold interesting statement that Paul makes that we're going to look at very carefully. Paul did not work by himself. He took with him Silas, which is Silvanus. Is the, Silas is the shortened version of the name Silvanus, being the Roman form. And he was likely a Hellenistic Jew who first accompanied Paul on his second missionary journey, Acts 15.40. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. Later, Silas was a scribe for Peter, as Peter mentions him in the closing of his first epistle, 1 Peter 5.12. Through Silvanus which would be Silas, our faithful brother, for so I regard him. I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So he had Silas or Silvanus as a scribe for himself. 
Then we look at Timothy. Timothy, whom we are all more familiar with, was a native of Lystra, Acts 16, 1 through 3. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for all, they all knew his father was a Greek. So Paul purposefully sought out these men to go with him on this, on this uh, trip, which would result in the founding of these churches. Timothy was a convert of Paul's, 1 Corinthians 4.17. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. And then Timothy toured with Paul in his, on his second missionary journey, second and third, actually, missionary journeys, and remained with him during his imprisonment in Rome, uh, as seen in the introductory verses of Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Later, Timothy served at the church, served the church at Ephesus in, at Paul's insistence, 1 Timothy 1.3, as I urged you upon my department to, for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. And later... Uh, Timothy himself was also imprisoned. In Hebrews chapter 13, we hear, Take notice that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom if he comes soon, I will see you. So these two men, Silas and Timothy, were excellent choices and became veterans of the faith, accompanying Paul and spreading the gospel on their own. It is good, it is good to have working companions helping in a ministry that God has called us to. Here at Kootenai, uh, God has seen fit to divide the work between four elders who complement each other. We encourage one another, we hold each other accountable, and we try to help each other in the work that God has assigned to us here. So, each of these men were involved in thanking God for the Thessalonians, not just Paul, but Timothy and Silas as well, for the Thessalonians. Is it Thessalonians or Thessalonians, or are they both okay? They're both okay. Okay, so, you'll, you'll bear with me. Later... Um, He mentions them in his prayers and, and remembering the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians' threefold condition of genuine believers everywhere. Faith that results in work, love that results in prolonged and genuine labor and in the gospel, and hope which results in steadfastness and the continued and steady moving in the direction of being charged by the Lord, being changed by the Lord day by day by the work of the Holy Spirit becoming more and more like Christ. That is the threefold one of the threefold aspects of being a Christian. This group of believers in Thessalonia, chosen by the Father, they were affecting their place in the world. Leon Morris, in his remarkable commentary, puts it very succinctly in helping us understand just who is responsible for salvation and what results from that. One sentence, but while Paul insists that salvation is all of God, he also insists that faith is busy. So as Paul greets these believers, he leaves no question in their minds about his view of Christ. Getting into the text here. In the first verse, the preposition in, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. In the first verse, the preposition in includes both God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he uses the full title of Christ, reminding here the Thessalonians that they were inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that the two, the Father and the Son, were equals, co-equals in the work of calling out and creating the chosen ones there in Thessalonica. Morris again, Paul's construction, which unites the two under the government of the one preposition, in, 
or N in the Greek, places the two names side by side on a basis of equality. It is a clear witness to his conviction concerning the deity of Jesus Christ. You just don't elevate anything or anyone and allow it to stand side by side with Jehovah God either in your mind, on paper, or in the minds of others. When Paul puts these two side by side, he reminds the Thessalonians of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. This would be a reminder to us to be careful in how we communicate our understanding of the Trinity. It should not be a byproduct of our speaking and our preaching. It should be a focal point. It should be an effective focal point. The Trinity, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's in verse 1. In verse 2, he gives thanks for all of them and he makes, makes mention of them in their prayers. Timothy, Silas, and Paul were all praying for the Thessalonians. They had left the word of God, they had taught, they had spent time there, and now they had to be away, and they were praying. Much as we pray for those who are away from us, much as we pray for one another, uh, the prayer chain is a wonderful thing. I appreciate it greatly, uh, and I think we need to send it out more often for those of us who have gotten to the age where we have to remember to tie our shoes. Uh, more and more is good. Mo is good. More is good. Then, in verses 3 and 4, the structure here clearly shows the order. He, he encourages each and every one to work for the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. This work is the ministry that God has given to them, to the Thessalonians, and to you here at Kootenai to do for Him here and now. True saving belief in the Lord Jesus Christ always results in the work of change in a person's nature, in their disposition, in their actions, and in their beliefs. Then the regenerated want to love the regenerator more, and so they delightedly submit to him in the Holy Spirit's work in their lives. The work of changing them, a work of changing them, and moving them to do God's good pleasure, because faith without works is what? You can say it. I know it's not Sunday school, but go ahead. It's dead. Dead. Faith without works is dead. James 2, 18 through 22. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. And he couldn't say that about the Thessalonians. What he could say was they were busy. Their faith had resulted in changes in them, as it has resulted in changes in the body here at Kootenai. It resulted in them living out their faith in ways first inside the walls of the church, and then outside. They were having an effect on their place in the world. Then, in verse 3, he gives a Christian's love the endurance it needs to steadfastly labor in service to others. This word to labor doesn't just denote the small, considerate things done every day without concern for reward. No, this word bespeaks one who endures and would endure unceasing hardship and difficult toil because of love of others. The word actually means agony. He agonized over them. And a Christian will agonize in love over others. These were, this was a church of believers who worked hard at taking care of one another. It bespeaks to me the love of a devoted mother. 
who will do whatever is necessary for their children. And you've all seen it, and, and as a man and as a husband and as a father, it's, it's, it's just remarkable to me what my wife would do for her children and grandchildren. Um, I want to, when I grow up, I want to be just like her. <laughs> Maybe it's too late. Their love overflowed the walls of their church and, and reached out into the community in which they lived. And they were well known for it. Paul states that. It started with the love of the brethren, however, and this is made evident in chapter 4, verse 9, where he says, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Their love for Christ, their true and overflowing love for Christ, reached one another and the world around them. And that's what we're called to do. Our love for one another must be a love that meets their needs. It isn't just they know they like you, uh, you know I like you. It means that we're here to serve one another. Just talked about this in Sunday school this morning. It's amazing how the messages will often dovetail. I wonder if that's a coincidence. Anyway, the idea is that service to one another. Now, can service to one another take it out of you? Is it, can, be, can it be difficult? Can it be heart-wrenching and, and work, actual work? Well, Paul anticipated that. The Holy Spirit anticipated that. And so he puts this in here. And he says to those, as to the, to the love, you, ha you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And they do it in spades, if you will. And then, the Father gives endurance because of the hope in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This endurance is not a resigned commitment to the fate given to one. It's not an acquiescence and an understanding that que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. It is a manly endurance as evidenced by the brave and committed heart of the soldier in many cases. It is the kind of hope that comes from following a captain that cannot be defeated. The captain of our, the captain of our faith cannot be defeated. Not a chance. It is a, staying, a steady staying under pressure and it results according to the word of God in overcoming the world. 1 John 5, 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you see the, the beautiful consistency of Scripture? Paul advances the idea that faith is where all victory comes from, and John confirms it. And then the hope that we have cannot be defined by the modern idea of a feeling of expectation and a desire of a certain thing to happen. Well, I, I just think something good's going to... I hope it happens. I... Boy, wringing my hands. This hope is a blessed one and a result of the grace of God. It, is a, it, is a, it has a certainty about it, a confident expectation. It is a knowing that something is going to happen. Maybe not the timing, but a knowing that something is going to happen. And uh, this hope is a blessed one and it is a result of the grace of God which has brought salvation to the Thessalonians and to us. And that grace moves us to deny ungodliness, to live sensibly, and righteously, as Paul, taught to, as Paul told Titus in Titus chapter 2, 11 and 13, he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. We know He's coming. We're confident that He's coming. We're confident also that He is working in the church of Christ today. He's taking that love outside the walls 
It's going to get more difficult, brothers and sisters. It's going to, I think it's going to get more difficult. It's going to become very unfashionable to be a Christian in these, in these near coming days, I think. And I'm not a prophet. That's all done. But I'm a good guesser sometimes. So, be working in the Lord. Most of the commentaries I read, if not all, indicate that this section ends at verse 3. And verse 4 begins a new section. That is not for me, however. Not because I'm a rebel. For me, it's a transition verse. Yes, it, it does tie up this section. Uh, verse 4 does. I think it does. But it also is it's going to do... To me, it introduces the next section. And that's what most commentators think. And so it's going to do double duty for us. I will comment on it this time. And Lord willing, when I have an opportunity to exposit the next section, it will be part of that as well. For I intend to go through 1 Thessalonians. And at the rate that happens, we should have that done by 2085. I'll be 130. I will need help to get up here. Is there anyone here who will? Okay. Paul could thank God for the Thessalonians and pray for them, as he said in verse 2. He thanked God and he prayed for them. He could continually remember them and delight in the work that was produced by their faith, the labor that the Thessalonians were involved in, prompted by their love, and accompanied by the wonderful endurance they had, that it was inspired and begotten by their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. They had that. But all of that is a result first because they were loved by God first. Let me read that verse. There's nine words here. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you. Why did He choose you? Have you ever wondered that? I wonder it every day. Why did He choose me? Why not people I know of who are better people? His intent was to use you. And use you He has been doing. And it's been a wonderful thing to be a part of this body. That was a result because they were loved by God first. Remember, we love Him because He first loved us. Then they were chosen by Him. His love came, and then His choosing came. Now, I can demark that in time. To God, it's one. But you and I can demark that in time if we need to. He loved them, and He chose them. He loved you, and He chose you. And you have a, a, a particular and blessed use in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ today, in this world, in Kootenai, in Sandpoint, in the surrounding area. Now, you cannot, you cannot reverse the order, nor can you insert into that order some human work. This little sentence of nine words in the translation I use comprehends one of the most wondrous doctrines in Scripture, I think. Salvation is a sovereign work of God. And it must be. Because if I cluttered it up, it would be incomplete, ineffective, and mundane. Note well that Paul says it is because of the love of God that God chose the Thessalonians. And it is because of the love of God that He chose you today or chose you when you, were, when you trusted Christ, whenever that was. Do you remember that? Some of us do. Some of us don't have a clear demarcation in our, our minds. But as you have walked forward in the joy of the Lord, constantly bearing in mind, Paul said, the work of the Kootenai Church, their labor of love, their steadfastness of hope, their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope. 
It's a remarkable thing, this salvation thing. I, I shouldn't say it that way. That almost reduces it to a, an anomaly. It's an awe-inspiring thing, and so it is the same for us, brothers and sisters, for no other reason than His sovereign grace, His sovereign choice, but that is enough. It is enough. God chose the believers in Thessalonia. He chose them in their time for the work that He would use in them to spread the gospel throughout Macedonia and to be an example to a wayward church, a church that learned from this church who pressed forward working in faith, laboring in love, in the steadfast hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. So are you planning, are you looking for him every day? The Thessalonians were. Maybe they needed to get a bit busier, and we'll look at that as we get farther into the book. I don't want us putting on white robes and going out onto rooftops waiting for the Lord to come. A true faith is a busy faith. Are you planning to live 10 20, 30, 40 or more years in service to the Lord, but are you, are you living it like today might be the last and you've got to be your best for Him in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? By God's grace, performing a work of faith, laboring in love, confident in the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ, this was Thessalonica. And I believe this is Kootenai. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.